Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, we've been off for a week. We're back. We saw it. We got hot takes. We're also talking about Peter Pan and Wendy. Bit of a mini review on this one. Uh, we'd planned on both watching it, and something happened, believe it or not. <laughs> now, uh, mm-hmm. I saw it. So we'll, we'll talk about that and what happened. It's a whole thing. Uh, we're going to talk about some upcoming trailers, some exciting things that you want to keep an eye out for at the movies. Uh, and before we get to all of it, uh, when you talk about the news, uh, first things first, uh, there's going to be a new Lord of War movie. Uh, sincere Nick Cage fans listening to the podcast might have heard this. Uh, apparently, Nicolas Cage is going to be in a sequel to the 2005 crime thriller Lord of War. Andy, you've seen this movie? I did. I saw this way back in the day. I think it was like a blockbuster rental, uh, <laughs> that sort of thing. It uh, yeah, st- totally. stars Nicolas Cage as a, as a gun runner in um, kind of warring African nations. He's he's per- he's an arms dealer. Uh, it's uh, it's it's really good. It's yeah, kind of a cult classic, dark and funny. And I'm it's from 2005. I can't believe they're gonna make a sequel almost 20 years later. Yeah, I'm a fan of the original, but I haven't seen it too many times. I just I think it lands in that kind of like pantheon of like pretty good Nick Cage movies that everybody's familiar with, right? Like it's not top class for me, but it's up there. It'd be with something like The Weatherman or like Adaptation, I guess. Uh, I like this premise that they've got. Uh, they said he's going to be playing opposite Bill Skarsgård. Uh, he's going to be playing his son. Uh, according to this run-up from Khan, uh, in Lords of War, that's the name, uh, Orlov discovers he has a son, Anton, uh, who's trying to stop his father's wrongs rather than stop... He's trying to top his father's wrongs rather than stop them as he launches a mercenary army to fight America's Middle East conflicts. It's perfect. <laughs> Cage isn't going to be teaching his son how to sell guns. He's going to find out that he's selling them better than he is. And now he's <laughs> not on my stop watch. him or outdo him. Yeah, right. Kind of kind of great. Like, I actually think that's a really charming premise. It's a very uh, I, Nick I, Cage premise. Who's ma- who is making this movie? Do you know who this person is? It's the, uh, it's the same studio that made Coda. Oscar oh, winning film. Oh, the Apple, the Apple Plus. Yeah, sure. Oscar winner. Uh, Vendome Pictures is the the producer, um, which it, which uh, with director Andrew Nichol, who wrote and directed the original um, Lord of War, and who also wrote wrote the script to the Truman Show. So uh, oh, he's really? definitely a good writer. Oscar nominated, possibly winning writer. Um, so that's kind of who's behind this. It's, it's a strange take, but I mean we're. We're in an era of like not just sequels and reboots, but like I mean sequels to things that are old. Yeah, and and like not to mention outside of like nostalgia Hollywood, which we should probably have a larger conversation about. Um, Lords Lord of War is like kind of great for a follow up because nothing has gotten better in arms dealing. <laughs> like it, it felt it felt topical at the time in two thousand five, but. In 2023, 2024, 2025, whenever this movie comes out, um, I mean, I think it'll be even even more so, right? Like, yeah. what are, what's what's Lords of War going to have to say about you know what? I probably shouldn't get it. Probably shouldn't get into it, but <laughs> current <laughs> it events has the potential to be bleak and and skeptical. I think cynical. Yeah, I I uh, I remember it. Like I said, it's kind of a dark comedy. This great line from the trailer that says, "I've armed every army except the Salvation Army." It's it's like some real good uh, kind of anti-hero hero Do stuff. You think, I, I know I got to move off this because if you haven't seen Lord of War, this is probably the worst story to ever cover on the open of a podcast. But uh, do you think Ethan Hawke's going to be back? Because he appears at the end of Lord of War as the uh, 
sterling FBI agent who's trying to catch Nicholas Cage's if, if someone criminal. was in a movie and they're still breathing, there's a very good chance oh, yeah. they're going to be in it. Come on. Why why wouldn't Ethan Hawke come back? Hey, think I think his character you could pull the same gag with him again, honestly. Like Lord of War is good. You should go watch it if you haven't seen it. All right, we're going to move on to our next story. Uh Disney is pulling some content off streaming in a strategic rethink uh, so this follows uh at a, at a, what was an earnings call yeah uh, bob Iger and disney cfo christine mccarthy when they talked about where disney's at and believe it or not disney plus has been losing subscribers in q2 i think they lost like four million or something uh, it could just be stale content it would be easy to say it's because they are doing dumb star wars stuff or they've gone war woke uh but really it seems like the bulk of it is because they lost the rights to stream football in india which cricket. apparently it was cricket. Was it cricket? Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Apparently that like really hurt them, but they've got some plans for Hulu. What, what do you know about this, Andy? So Disney's big focus right now is cost cutting. They're, they're looking to make less content. They're looking to pull content that's costing them money and in, in residuals probably, and probably license that out elsewhere. Um, and they're going to be, combining some of Hulu and Disney Plus into one app um, later this year. So that's actually really soon. So some big changes in all efforts to try and make streaming profitable. As somebody who pays for Hulu and Disney Plus, I think that's a great idea. <laughs> as as the average consumer, I'm not really charmed. It's It's got a little bit of the, the Discovery HBO thing to it. I'm like, ew, <laughs> I don't need <laughs> two of my streaming services kind of glom together but like honestly again as somebody who who literally pays for both i have both of those subscriptions which is terrible i shouldn't um why not right like you'll probably come out to what a few uh, if hopefully a couple less dollars than what i currently pay and i get some sweet deal and i don't have to go to two websites and have two apps on my phone doesn't sound like a bad thing to me yeah similar to this is actually i as predicted by off script, uh, we at one point Dude. said that, that there were so that because there were so many streaming services that they would eventually probably have to combine into fewer larger players. That's kind of what's happening now. But uh, Disney, like I said, that they've cut. They're supposed to have like six shows come out this um, this year, and they've cut four of them. Like uh, they canceled Willow season two, National Treasure season two. The Agatha Coven of Chaos is real iffy, probably not happening at this point. Um, they're just really scaling back, and and it, it is working. They, they, apparently, in the, the the Grand Bob Chapik era, they had like a billion and a half worth of, of like um, in the red, and they've cut that down to about a half billion now. So they're getting there slowly. And Bob Iger seems to be making the strategic cuts, but it's a uh, it's an expensive time for Disney for sure. It's true. I like this line he said on this call. Uh, pulling content off the service goes hand in hand with making less of it. Uh, or he says, quote, we have to get much more surgical about what we're making. And like that, I think, is is a, a good idea fun functionally. Like when you think of what Disney Plus is making, how much of that are you talking about with your family and friends? How much of that are you like, oh, my God, you got to watch the show on Disney Plus? Like, I know they're working with Nat Geo. I know they... Make you know make stuff like renovations, which I'm sure is fine. Uh, shout out to Jeremy Renner. I hope he's doing better. Um, but like, uh, if you're not watching Star Wars stuff and you're not there for the live actions, which most people aren't, like, who cares, right? I think it's also worth mentioning. Like, Paramount is doing big things with kids content over on their 
network. Like I don't subscribe to Paramount Plus, but like outside of just the Nickelodeon library, which is vast and deep, uh, they're also like making a lot, getting a lot of stuff like Illuminations content, right? You can watch Despicable Me over there. Trolls, I think, is on Paramount. Like you watch it a million times, right? Like uh, Disney, they 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 have to make new things to be relevant, and they have to make those things like really unique and special. That's how they got to where they are now, making features that just stood out from from like a crowd of other features whenever they came out live you know animated features mostly um if they're just making junk like they're they're not relevant anymore like they they got to keep making good stuff uh and i think Iger, who's been ceo much longer than chapik like i think he knows that right um so overall i think, I think, I think good things for disney also want to say andy's right by the way when he said two minutes ago <laughs> that we're in the prediction game dude <laughs> off script is unmatched in the prediction game That's andy right. said last Dude, Andy said Last Jedi was good years before people started talking about Last Jedi being a good movie. <laughs> we we said Super Mario was going to hit a Billy months before it hit a before it even came out. We saw the first <laughs> teaser. And we'd see, we said billion dollar feature right here on this show. Like, if you want to know what's going on next in, in movies, finger on the pulse, is, dude. It, it, finger on the pulse of cinema. Yeah, <laughs> all you need is is two idiots who have been podcasting for three years. Uh, <laughs> our last story: uh, Guardians of the Galaxy three opens to a cozy just short at shy of 120 million dollars uh in their opening weekend after a huge sunday um big big numbers for james gunn's new feature and i talked a lot of smack about this because i think people are getting you know marvel fatigue and just superhero fatigue uh maybe not andy what do you make of this fat open it's a really strong opening it's good news for marvel it is down from guardians 2 uh, but I think the landscape is completely different. Uh, first off, that was pre-pandemic. Things are wildly different and much more unpredictable. Also, Marvel was really hitting their stride. Film-wise, they were in the middle of Phase 2, ending Phase 2. I would guess Civil War was probably that that year. Phase 2 is probably the strongest of those first three. Um, so that they everything Marvel was just so good then that there was just the Marvel hype train was just on, on its own, uh, just ran itself. And now... You've had a lot of hit and miss. If, like, Quantumania was not very good. Black Panther was pretty solid, but then I forget what it even came out last summer. The other, M- Multiverse of Madness, uh, Thor 4 were pretty mediocre. So it's kind of left people with a lot of bad taste in their mouth. And I, I feel like Guardians is suffering from a lot of other bad movies that Marvel has come out with in, in the last year. Yeah, it's really easy to forget Guardians 2 came out in 2017. Like, outside of the whole pandemic, that's six years. Six years, years yeah. Six years. Like, that's a long time to get to your threequel, right? Like, to get to the third film. We've already gone to the sequel once. Like, you got to get people to come back to the theater a third time for Guardians 3. And it seems like it worked. And I, I think, like, a good lesson from the general public, because I think Disney already knows this, is, like, you can't just crank out superhero movie after superhero movie. You need to crank out like superhero property at the, like that's good after superhero property. That's good. Like I, I watched the trailer of the Marvels in front of this. And I'm like, man, two of these of these three heroes in the show, two of these are Disney plus properties. Like, and one of them is captain Marvel who we haven't seen since like just after Endgame. Like, come on, man. Like it, I just don't care that much. But meanwhile, guardians three makes $120 million. Like, people will come back for, like, the properties that are good and the heroes that are good. If they put on an Iron Man 4 tomorrow, that would make $100 million. Like, I think people, like, and, and Disney just got to stop making junk heroes. 
or junk, ju- I don't know, junk films around around good heroes. Well, one thing that James Gunn was asked directly about this, you know, what you know, what do you what do you have to say about superhero fatigue? And he said, I don't think people are tired of of superhero movies. They're tired of kind of lame movies with no, with like no emotional yeah. story, kind of hold holding things uh, together. Um, so Guardians. Two was actually part of phase three, not not phase two, but that's when, like I said, they they were really hitting all that. So phase three is, uh, I mean, Captain America: Civil War, Doctor Strange, Guardians Two, Spider Man: Homecoming. That was the first time we'd had a proper Spider Man movie. Thor three, Black Panther. I, I mean, that's when when Marvel could do no wrong. And now that they're they're just sort of fumbling <laughs> and hitting and missing. But now we finally kind of got back to a, a much more solid uh, Marvel film in Guardians 3. Yeah, we sure did. Um, we should probably talk about it. I did want to make sure we mentioned that James Gunn quote because I think it's very true. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, yeah, man. Like, I, I think... <laughs> I don't know. I, I I think Guardians 3 is a good thing. I, I was surprised at how many people I heard go, went to see it because they thought, well, it's Guardians. It's, like, different, right? Like, it's Marvel, but, like, it's, like, different Marvel. And these, these films kind of stand out on their own, I think in a way. And I, I, I'm excited to talk about it. I guess what I'm saying, cause we gotta get to it. We got a lot to cover on this show. Big, big episode this week. Well, without right. further ado, Andy's agreed to take the summary on it. Andy, um, take it away. Guardians of the galaxy. Volume three. Are you ready for one last ride? So this is the third iteration of this fantastic property directed by James Gunn, written by James Gunn, featuring all our favorite, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, including Rocket, Mantis, Drax, Nebula, Skylord, aka Peter Quill, Groot, plus a whole lot more. The, the, there are a lot of people in this movie. A lot of people have been come part of uh, this property, but th- that's part of this is like the culmination of three films, plus even more when you count uh, the Avengers stuff or the other places that the the, the, the holiday special, right? The holiday the special, Guardian special ran last December on Disney Plus. Um, and so we find ourselves at the beginning of the film. Uh, Rocket Raccoon, he's attacked by Will Poulter's character, Adam Warlock, who's a, who's a newcomer. And he's they're trying to retrieve him for a character called the High Evolutionary. He's the person that created Rocket um, or enhanced him, and he wants his property back. And in the scuffle, Rocket is injured critically, and uh, they have the Guardians then have to go through a series of trials and a, a few MacGuffins to go to in order to save Rocket. Um, so we get an adventure to save our friend, and we meet this uh, very good villain, villain played by Chukwudi Iwuji, whose name I've learned to say correctly over this week. Yes. Um, as the high evolutionary. Uh, we have a lot of fun, a lot of humor, a lot of darkness, surprisingly. Like, there's some really dark stuff in this. Um, it's a really good time in the movies. It's a little bit too long at a uh, full two and a half hours, but um, it's overall a re- pretty good time. Zach, what'd you think? I liked it, actually. I, I, like, I like Guardians Volume 3. Uh, I liked it more than I think I liked Volume 2, which I was surprisingly mid on. And I think it's because, like, at its core, Guardians 3 is, like, a good comic book adventure, right? Like, oh, our our, one, our friend is injured, and we got to go save him. And we got to go to this planet and do this weird thing or get this thing, you know? Like, and in a way, like, that's a good time. It gives your heroes a lot of time to bounce off one another and, and do things that are organic and fun. Um, it does, I think, have problems. It, it's, it's worth mentioning. It's not a perfect movie. But, like, whereas Guardians 2 is more of a bottle feature, they just kind of arrive on... 
Kurt Russell's planet and do their thing for 80 minutes. Like this one actually takes some dips and dives and through a, a long runtime at two and a half hours, like ended up really keeping me tuned in and I, and I really liked it. Um, what what do you think? And what's the best place to start talking about it? Um, well, we can start with the plot. I thought it was a little bit bloated, just kind of in the in the first half. Um, the the first thing that they have to do after Rocket is injured, they have to go to this kind of living planet to secure a thing so they can save him. And this sequence just kind of takes a little bit too long. It's a fun time because it, it's a lot of like Star Wars sneaking around on this ship, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Um, put putting on stormtrooper uh, costume that that sort of thing. There's a lot of uh, funny uh, things that happen. There is um, we get a lot a lot of kind of back and forth between all of our, the cast and characters. Some funny cane- cameos. Nathan Fillion shows up as this this guard character. That's really funny. Um, like I said, there's just there's a lot going on. There's a lot of people who all have to kind of be balanced. Yeah. That's true. Uh, I think it's helped by um, good banter. Like that's something that's always brought people to the Guardians movies. They're funny. James Gunn is the writer and director and uh, he penned the script for it. Um, the Guardians are snappy in this movie, which I think is good. Uh, they're, they're not quite like you remember them in two. It turns out um, the events of the holiday special have happened. Uh, the Guardians now kind of reside on this planet called Nowhere. It's like this planetoid skull-looking ship thing. Floating really planet, cool. yeah. Yeah, and they got a whole like community of like people and 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 aliens that wander through there. Uh, and it seems like that's kind of their abode, and they kind of you know protect it. And and uh, after Rocket's injured, like Andy said, uh, they have to strike out and and go 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 basically to where Rocket came from. Like they have to they have to go towards the place that he started from and the movie like bounces between these flashbacks uh of where that is um <laughs> which is probably where we should start talking about <laughs> yes absolutely how, how how phenomenally dark these these sequences are of rocket's origins as a young raccoon um and you want to you want to tell people a little bit about yeah. what they're looking forward to yes yeah, so so while rocket is incapacitated we get a lot of flashbacks like zach said um to his, his past and this is something that's always been very mysterious in in the guardians films rocket's always been very uh, defensive about talking about his, his past uh, so we get to see these early flashbacks of him being chosen and being experimented on by the high evolutionary um and he's kind of put in this this cage with other uh friends other small animals that have also been um experimented on and in in really grotesque ways in i mean this is like this is pg-13 but i was like man this is like i wouldn't take real young kids to this because it's 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 pretty disturbing like there's there's a rabbit that's kind of been horribly enhanced and and there's uh lila his his, like longtime friend also who's got these like she's is an otter with these like creepy metal arms there's a walrus and and it's it's someone like I don't know. It's something out of an anime or something. It's really, really disturbing. And like they're they're like um, you know scientific experiments of the mad scientist, uh, the high evolutionary. Um, and it's some really sad stuff. And they all they become friends, and they they really want to try and get out of this thing together. But it's kind of you know it's not really set up for that. Yeah, like I think one of the things that works really well in this movie is like how visually striking it is. All these places the guardians go. 
like are just like an overflow of visual creativity. They go to this like oozing planet thing, which is rad. And uh, they go to this like, yeah, this, this kind of, I don't want to get too far into it. Cause it's into spoilers. They go to good places and like all of that, like visual creativity, bright colors and like sharp, sharp angles and organic shapes and all the kind of cool stuff they come up with to put in the background uh, is like baked into uh, this place where rocket is in the beginning of the movie. Cause it's just, it's so dark and dingy and grimy and disgusting and awful. And, and like, it's just so unpleasant and gun does a really great job. Like he does. It's, it's not some big whole operation. It's really small. Actually. It's just kind of a few cages um on like a small set but like the way he shoots it and and the way he lights it makes it so disgusting and, and like he combined in a soundtrack you get some really like tough emotional moments it does also have some kind of brutal body horror i think yeah <laughs> like in, it, in its own way i think that's why people are so like shocked by it i, I saw an article that parents that were mad like, i can't <laughs> yeah. believe i took my kid to see this and it's like well it's it's pg it says pg 13 which means your kid should probably be around 13 like and that seems like a lot i think for a guardians movie but like gun gun is not afraid of that he leans on his old trauma background right and he's, he's yeah he's gonna be gross people forget that james gunn comes from from like, that b horror movie background and that's where he kind of cut his teeth in in cinema in the in his early days and he still keeps a lot of that and there's a lot of that kind of uh grotesque body horror in this in juxtaposed with a lot of really fun and happy moments like we, we get the guardians back together and we get the banter between all all of them we, they have all their unique personalities which all kind of quarrel with each other but all still are very caring we get lots of funny moments um all throughout throughout the movie I, i'm trying to not get into spoilers but you i ha- know you yeah. have these really great high funny moments and then you have this really dark and disturbing but i mean Dude. it's disturbing as an adult like i can only yeah. imagine if you saw it as a kid yeah, like I saw, I saw some some folks on Facebook, uh, some personal friends say things like they saw the movie before I did, and they they got on there and they were like, if I had known they were this <laughs> twisted, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have gone to see it. I'm like, you would have skipped the third Guardians movie, like really? And then I saw it, and I was like, oh my god. <laughs> There's a, listen, a perfect spot for bathroom breaks. Let me tell you, if you're not into what's going on, great reason to get up and go to the bathroom because the movie is long. It is two and a half hours, and I think. Outside of the script, outside of the great visuals, outside of the fun characters, the other thing that really carries it is the soundtrack. Dude, there's so many good needle drops yeah. in Guardians 3. Like, there's so many great tracks. The first one had a really great soundtrack. The second one I like fine. Um, this one's fantastic. Like, immediately go to Spotify and go check out the Guardians 3 soundtrack if you've seen the movie. If not, like, just go in surprise. Like, you, you'll come out better for it because there's some really great picks. Yeah, the... the- the the one of the things that has really stood out about Guardians, um, the franchise is just r- incredible choices in music. Not, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of like classic '80s things, or but that's, I mean, that music's thirty, forty years old now, so it's it's not real familiar to a lot of people. And he he just finds the perfect song in the perfect moment. <laughs> Uh, all the all the time, like the choices are are really solid, and it's no different in this one. Yeah, fun fact. I saw a, a, an old interview with James Gunn getting ready for this show uh, to talk about it, and uh, uh, somebody asked him what the hardest needle drop to get was uh, in 
a Guardians movie, hardest music track lockdown. Apparently, Mr. Blue Sky for Guardians Two, which is like the opening track. He was like, they would not give it to us. It wouldn't happen. Like it was a whole thing. He had to write letters, like call them a bunch. Yeah, <laughs> beg them, please take my money. You'll sell. You'll you'll get a ton of ton of hits on Spotify right after the movie comes out. I swear. Like, what's it gonna take? Um, but solid music all around. Uh, I don't want to give away too much more. But one more thing I want to talk about before we move on to. Uh, recommendations. Uh, I actually really like what they end up doing with most of the guardians in here. Cause this is, you know, the last one, uh, James Gunn said he's not making any more. He's moving on to DC greener pastures for him. Uh, I, I know Dave Batista, big Dave and Zoe Saldana both said they won't sit for the makeup anymore. Like, yeah, they're done. <laughs> the, the makeup, which by the way, I'm pretty sure big Dave never actually goes bare chest in this movie. I, maybe he does it once for a scene, but like I walked out and was like, I'm pretty sure he ne- he's always wearing something. So it's just his arms and his head in the makeup because he's just so tired sick of, of it. it. Yeah. yeah, like of course, like the Drax makeup is is pretty extensive. Um, but they're not making any more, and and this is supposed to be like the end for the Guardians, right? Like they 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 don't they're not really going to do any more. So how do you how do you tie that off, right? How do you kind of wrap up what's supposed to be a satisfying adventure? Uh, and a satisfying set of characters who are likely not going to be returning again for a while or together, you know? Um, and I think Gunn does a good job. I, I, I like, I, I won't talk about it too much because we don't do spoilers here, but like, it's it's surprisingly satisfying how it all turns out because it, every character in this movie really gets their opportunity to shine and that sets up like a good stage for them to decide what's next. Yeah, he really sticks the landing in my opinion. There's a lot of ways you could have fumbled uh, the end of this series. And then I think he has a, I think he just has a good job handling it. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about was this, mo- this movie works a lot better than some of the more recent stuff Marvel has done because it stands on its own. It is a guardians movie about the guardians. It's not concerned with the larger MCU or other, or Kang the conqueror or, you know, what's happened. What's, what's the next thing? which a lot of Marvel stuff just feels like a trailer for whatever's coming next or whatever's it's trying to set up. And, and this movie doesn't do any of that. It's self-contained. It's worried about its own story and its own characters. And it, it's so much better because of that. Yeah. I, I mean, like explicitly. So like I, well, I, I, you know, it's spoilers. I can't talk about it, but <laughs> I think, uh, the visuals, the script, the cast, uh, the plot, the, the, the dark stuff, soundtrack i think we about covered everything andy what 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 else you got should we should we move into recommendations i think we can move into recommendations andy would you recommend guardians of the galaxy volume three yeah overall i i really liked it it's a lot of fun it's it's really good writing good characters it's really funny a lot of really good action too uh when, when we get there it does feel a little bit bloated to me it's a bit of a bloat buster <laughs> as that coined <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, you came up with Blowbuster. Like I just put it together. You're right there. It's um, an off-script joint. <laughs> um, it's yeah. It's just a little bit uh, too long in in some parts. I actually I like the second half. Uh, I, I feel like it's one, that's when it really gets going. Um, but it, it's much more. It's just better than a lot of the Marvel stuff we've gotten. It's a lot of fun. Great soundtrack. Great performances. Highly recommend. Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. Guardians three is a great time. Uh, if you haven't seen any of the Guardians movies. 
I don't think you'll be out of place, but you'll have a lot to look forward to if you go see Guardians 3, because the other ones are a bit brighter, uh, especially as far as like the flashback subject matter is concerned, uh, and also are like a lot of the same. Like Guardians 3 manages to thread that needle like one more time and like stick the landing in a satisfying story that concludes our, our, our adventures with our heroes in a way that I think everybody's going to be happy with. Oh my God, hold on. Wait a second. There's one more thing we didn't talk about. Dude, we got to talk about Jakuru Uji. We got to talk about this performance. Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> Before, yeah. Hold on. Uh, do you want to do you want to explain this to, to folks at home? Like, because I know we just mentioned him in the open, and I totally forgot to, to bring him up. Oh right. God. So, so Takuri Iwuji plays the High Evolutionary. Um, you may have seen him if you've watched the Peacemaker show. He's in that as well. Um, and he gives this incredible Shakespearean level performance of a bad guy who's just a really bad guy because a lot of villains recently have have been very kind of postmodern where they're like, well, they, they kind of have a really good point. I could, I might have to join their side, like you know, uh, Killmonger, Thanos to an extent. Um, and we finally get a villain that is just bad all around that you kind of love to hate. Uh, he gives this incredible performance as just this mad scientist bent on creating the perfect society. That's his goal is he's going through these experimentations to kind of create the perfect society, this utopia. And every time he kind of gets through a batch and it doesn't work, he's like, well, let me exterminate all that. Um and, but he he's just so menacing. He delivers a lot of you know. There's a lot of yelling lines which are really good. But the stuff that really is creepy is is all. He'll say the worst things in the most calm and collected voice. It's great. Uh, and it's it, it it it's it's bad. And he you you know he just looks down on all these other life forms that that aren't aren't him. It's spectacular performance. Andy's right. Like it's Shakespearean, especially in the way that it's like, it's almost like the guy's on stage. He's going big and over the top and Gunn writes a script that gives him every opportunity to experience all the ranges of emotion, right? He, he, it, it points, he's like kind and nice and gentle and caring other points. He's like a horrific monster, right? That like, you could barely even look at. He's scared in one scene. He's aggressive in another, like he gets to do everything. And Shakuti goes like right over the top. Andy, Andy's right. We had to figure out how to pronounce his name for the podcast. <laughs> it's true. I, I, we did have to work that out, but uh, he goes all the way over the top with it. And like, is this over the top, big boisterous villain that has like, all of the charm of Kurt Russell's like baddie from Guardians 2 with all of like the menace of like Lee Paces and Guardians 1 uh, and also like this brilliant face prosthetic they got for him. They do the RoboCop gag where his face like rolls up the side of like this robotic cyborg thing in the middle of his chrome mm. dome and like it looks so good, dude. It's such a great looking prosthetic. It's great. Um one of the better Marvel villains in a minute. Man needs more work yeah, post haste. He's in Peacemaker actually, and he's good in that, but it's it's a bit more toned down. Yeah, and people are. I mean, people are saying, "Hey, you know, if Jonathan Majors drops out of not being able to play Kang, <laughs> you, got, you, you got someone right here." Oops, new Kang. That's right. <laughs> yeah. He's right there. I love it. Uh, sorry, uh, not not like us to double back on a review, but oh my god, how could how do we forget talking about him? anyway? Uh, we're going to move on to our next bit here. Uh, we're going to talk about some upcoming trailers. Andy, what, what do we call this segment? It's time for the trailer park. Perfect. Uh, so did we split these up? How do you want to? I'll, I'll dip <laughs> in on this first one. So okay, uh, the, fir the first, the, a ton of trailers came out in the last couple of weeks, uh, but we're just going to narrow it down to three. The first one is A Haunting in Venice, which is the third in the uh, Hercule Poirot 
um, kind of whodunit trilogy. This is uh, in line with Murder on the Orient, Murder on the Orient Express, Death on the Nile, and now A Haunting in Venice. Uh, this looks actually a little bit like a horror movie. It looks a little spooky. Takes place in Venice, uh, obviously. Uh, it stars. Uh, I almost said Liz, Liz Lemon. <laughs> um, Tina Fey. Tina Fey is in it. Um, or she? she has a very pro- prominent role. Uh, kind of took me out of it, but it also stars uh, Michelle Yeoh, um, Kelly Ry- Riley, and it's it's a big cast. Like all all those films are, it, it looks much better than Death on the Nile. Um, I and it looks to take on the the Halloween effort because I think that's when it takes place. Um, is is during Halloween? That's why a haunting in Venice. Uh, it it looks interesting. We'll probably watch it for the show. Look, anything will be better than Death on the Nile. <laughs> yeah, I think this movie comes off looking like uh, just the right kind of like menacing without being, that's a good shot, uh, without being uh, too hammy. Like Death on the Nile, I think, like just really suffered. It, it didn't quite, I don't know, we reviewed it back in the day. You, you should go back and check it out. Uh, it's It's fine, but I think this will be... At least in, in first impression, a little bit stronger. Kenneth Branagh back as Hercule Poirot, of course. Uh, he's also directing, adapting from Agatha Christie. Hopefully stronger. I, I'm I'm still surprised the third one of these is getting made. <laughs> I really didn't think Death of the Nile was that good. It didn't do it that great. Bo- it was a bomb. It, it was, yeah, and it was right next to COVID. So I think maybe they were like, well, maybe, maybe we're not sure. And it's like, I, we're, we're pretty sure. Like, Death of the Nile is fine. But, you know, hey, this, this looks stronger. And that's a good thing. Uh, the next thing I'm going to talk about, uh, it's Dune 2. We got to talk about Dune Part Dune. 2. My God. Dune. My Arrakis. My Arrakis. That's right. Uh, Dune is back. Uh, Denis Villeneuve has been out in the desert shooting footage and sending it back. And uh, we, we've been getting scraps of it. And, and now we finally got a trailer. Uh, God, I wasn't ready to talk about this. Paul Atreides returns. Uh, Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, the whole crew is back to finish up the stories of uh, the story of Paul Atreides on Arrakis. And uh, to see him become the Gom Shabar. <laughs> the leader. The leader of the Fremen. The, right? Lisan uh, Al-Gaib. Uh, I do. Let Messiah. me tell you, I, I, I'm not wise on Dune culture, but I love Dune 1. And I'm excited for Dune 2. Andy, what do you think? Uh, I was beyond hyped when I knew this was coming out. I saw the trailer, even more hyped. Uh, we we see uh, Paul... Be- become start to become the leader there's a great sequence of, of him riding uh or attempting to ride a sandworm which we which was kind of teased at the first movie um and no it seems like no one can really think he can do it and in the trailer it does show show him succeeding in that but it's such a great build and we're given just flashes of other characters um florence Pugh shows shows up she kind of narrates some of it uh, we see the first scene, Austin Butler. He's actually one of the Harkonnen, and he's completely bald. So he's one of the bad guys. Um, it's just, it looks so epic and so exciting, and I am beyond hyped for it. Yeah, uh, Dune 2 looks awesome. Very excited. Uh, can't go wrong. Denis Villeneuve, king of sci-fi. I don't know if you've heard people saying this. It's all over the internet. People can't <laughs> stop talking about it. Uh, what's next? Uh, th- we had the first full trailer for Oppenheimer, the biopic directed by Chris Nolan, starring uh, Killian Murphy. This looks—I I don't want to say it's okay because it's a good trailer. It's just not a big like blockbuster kind of film that would normally come out in the summer. Like this is going to be going up against Barbie, and it, it looks like the kind of film that should come out in November in time for Oscar season. 
um, because it's a biopic. And I know that that Chris Nolan has a a bunch of visuals and things that are going to blow people away. We just haven't seen any of it. Nothing in this movie that we see is stunning visuals. It looks like it, it, there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of, you know, well, what's going to happen when we do this. Um, but the, it's just not, it's not grabbing me the way I, I hoped it would. I'm a little surprised to hear you say that, but watching the trailer, I, I kind of feel similar. I, I think this trailer tragically gives too much away. It's like if you saw a trailer for Tenet before Tenet came out that was three minutes that was like, let us go ahead and explain the plot to you. And I'm like, oh, no, like Christopher Nolan movies don't need that. They're all tone, right? Christopher Nolan is, it directs vibes first and plot second. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's what his movies are all about, vibes. And, and this movie, I think, lands more in like the Dunkirk category than the Tenet, Interstellar, Inception, Prestige category uh, in that it's, you know, inspired by real events and not quite so mystical um, but maybe just maybe a little dark, you know, a little dark. And uh, man, I, like I, I, on the one hand, I'm excited for Oppenheimer, but like it's coming out in the summer and it's, it, it just seems real grim. And like, that, it seems like it might be a bit of a, you know, bit of a challenge, challenging watch. Whereas like Barbie coming out same day. I mean, how do you not go see Barbie, <laughs> right? That's going to be a great time at the movies. Yeah. I mean, Opp- Oppenheimer, like I said, it looks like the something that comes out in, in the fall pushing for an Oscar and I, and I'm sure it's great on that front, but like all anyone I know is talking about going to see Barbie. I have a friend who's like, we're all dressing up and we need to get on theme for, for Barbie. Right. Like, like no, no one's approaching Oppenheimer like that. Yeah. I, I will. We'll see. Also one more thing. I had asked Andy about this before we did the show, but I only got an Oppenheimer trailer in front of guardians three and no Barbie trailer. And I'm convinced it's a, it's a psyop from universal. <laughs> They paid Disney to not run Barbie because like, come on, how do you not put the Barbie trailer in front of Guardians 3? The audiences are very similar, much more similar than Oppenheimer, right? Like yeah. what, what, what goth is going to see? Go- well, I guess lots of goths see Guardians, but it's fine. Uh, one more trailer we need to talk about. Uh, we got to talk about the trailer for Poor Thing. Poor uh, so Poor Thing, Poor Things, I'm sorry, Poor Things is the new Yorgos Lanthimos film, uh, infamously director of... Oh, God. Dogtooth, The Lobster, The Favorite, which I was actually a big favorite of mine. Really like that movie. Killing uh, of a Sacred one, Deer. Killing of a Sacred Deer. I was going to say, what's that one with the deer? <laughs> which we reviewed on this show. <laughs> we did. Does not have any deer in it. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, Yorgos Lanthimos. Odd, surrealist uh, director. Has a new feature coming out starring Emma Stone uh, and Willem Dafoe and uh, a handful of other individuals. I can't recall who. Uh, I don't know a lot about Mark Ruffalo. I don't know a lot about it. Uh, I know it's very visual. Um, and there's like a 30 second teaser that came out today and it looks like some bold cinema. Andy, what do you think? This looks great. Um, I'm, I'm really enticed by what we see. It's, it's a Frankenstein esque story. Um, Emma Stone's character has been, uh, revived by, uh, Willem Dafoe's kind of mad. He's a bit of a mad scientist she is brought, I think, brought back to life, and then uh, begins to to wander the world. But it 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 looks it has parts of it that look like a Wes Anderson film. Um, so it's just the it's inspired by Frankenstein, but it's not Frankenstein. That's what I want to try and get at. But uh, just crazy visuals. We don't really know too much about it. But I'm, I mean, he's just one of those directors that I'm I'm going to see anything he makes. You know, I didn't get a good look at Willem Dafoe's prosthetics in in the trailer because it goes by real fast. But I got it freeze framed on Facebook where we're streaming, and uh, <laughs> that looks great. 
<laughs> he's got definitely got some scars on that face uh yeah like i don't know what exactly we're getting into but like i can't wait to see it like uh, yorgos lanthimos just makes weird stuff and i think it's going to be a good time uh, you should definitely go see uh poor things we'll cover it on the show uh, but with that, we need to move into our final review of the episode. Bit of a mini review this week. And I promised folks a good reason as to why only one of us watched it. I want to be honest, there isn't one. Uh, bit of a, <laughs> just a bit of a miscommunication, both at the beginning of the show and on my part when I told Andy uh, what I thought of the movie. I, I watched it on Disney+. Plus. Uh, I, 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 I wanted to watch... Uh, I wanted to watch Peter Pan and Wendy because it's a new David Lowry feature and we love the Green Knight on this show. Big Green Knight stance. Green Knight is great stuff. You should go watch the Green Knight if you haven't seen it. Um, and and this is his new feature. And when Andy and I went and saw David Lowry do a Q&A in front of Green Knight at the Texas Theater, the historic Texas Theater here in Dallas, uh, he talked about shooting in the Netherlands. He, in, in Netherlands, he was shooting Peter Pan and Wendy and, and, and he was working with Disney and he'd recently he'd done Pete's dragon, uh, the live action adaptation, which was, I think received well by critics. I didn't see it. Um, so since then I've thought, Oh man, I got to watch that new Peter Pan adaptation. It's Disney live action, but come on, it's, it's David Lowry, right? It's going to be good stuff. And then I watched it. <laughs> I told Andy what I thought and, and I'll get into that in just a moment. And, and I said, you know, you don't, you don't have to hold your breath. Maybe I'll just watch it. We'll do a mini review or something along those lines. <laughs> this is what Andy tells me. And so then we're coming up on Showtime. And I said, Andy, what do you think of Peter Pan? He goes, Oh, well, I didn't watch it. You said you were going to do it yourself. You said you said <laughs> I, you said you would handle it, and I didn't realize I took charge. But apparently, I'm the one reviewing Peter Pan and Wendy. Uh, do you, Andy, do you want to, any comments on that before I jump into it? No, that's that seems accurate. <laughs> Perfect. All right, just want to make sure <laughs> both of our both of our slides of the story are heard. Uh, with that, we should jump into it. Uh, the movie is Peter Pan and Wendy. Never say his name. So Peter Pan and Wendy is, like I said, David Lowry's new feature from Disney. It is their latest live action adaptation coming out just before A Little Mermaid in two weeks, three weeks. Uh, this one went straight to Disney Plus, which when we heard him talk about it, I don't recall him mentioning whether or not it was going to be straight to Disney Plus. Frankly, uh, being Peter Pan, I would think that would be a theatrical. Peter Pan's a pretty beloved Disney Disney animation feature, but they decided not to with this one. And I think we're going to get into that, or at least I will. Uh, Peter Pan and Wendy is direct at remake of the original. Uh, it is uh, the darling family, Wendy and John and Michael, who were all up in their uh, playroom one night before their parents, their esteemed parents are going out to a, a fine, you know, ball or something. And they're like, don't stay up too late, kids. And and, and Wendy's like, you know, why, why do I have to go to bed early? They're like, because you're going to boarding school tomorrow. And she's like, but I don't want to grow up. And they're like, tough. All right. That's too bad. Uh, but then in the evening, uh, uh, Peter Pan arrives and is, is, is uh, fairy Tinkerbell. And they say, well, come with us to Neverland, right? We'll, we'll never grow up. And they all fly off to Neverland. And it's there that they meet Captain Hook and uh, uh, the Lost Boys and, 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 uh, Tiger Lily uh, and and the whole cast of Peter Pan characters and they have a romp and then they they got a sword fight and it's it's Peter Pan and I really like old Peter Pan like I, I should say that I think that old movie's solid and I I had hoped that between the magic of the old one and and David Lowry right pulling a rabbit out of a hat like he did with Green Knight that there would be something really special here and and uniquely I think Peter Pan and Wendy ends up being less than some of its parts I, I think if you're arriving for a Disney feature you're going to be bummed and if you're arriving <laughs> for a David Lowry feature 
you're going to be bummed. I don't know why. I, I, it's, it's hard for me to nail down what exactly doesn't work, but I do want to talk about the things I liked in it and things I didn't. Uh, Andy, any reflections on old Peter Pan or the Green Knight, David Lowry's style? <laughs> like, give me, give me a little room to breathe here. Yeah, obviously a big fan of David Lowry and the Green Knight. Uh, very meditative kind of work. Um, actually big fan of Hook. Uh, yeah, from, Steven Spielberg feature. Yeah, yeah, Robin Williams. Um, even though it's like two and a half hours, which is long for as such it a, a, a kid's film. My big question is, how is Jude Law as Captain Hook? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, Jude Law, I think, is is pretty good in this feature as Captain Hook. It's not exactly the way the old one went. Uh, all of these Disney live, ad- live actions have a bit of a tweak from the story, and they actually spend a little bit of time getting into Captain Hook's past. Because um, it's a question, right? Like, in a, in a land of people who never grow up, how are there a bunch of adult pirates? And why is there a crocodile after him? <laughs> Yeah, And why is there a ticking alarm clock, right? All good questions. Uh, and they do spend a little bit of time getting into where Hook comes from, which I think is smart. I, I think that's a good angle that, that many Peter Pan adaptations have taken from the original story since. Uh, I should also say, like, I think the kids are all pretty good. Uh, the girl who plays Wendy, I, I don't know her name. She's actually, she will be in more stuff, I think. That's my hot prediction. She, she's got a bit of a like a Susan Pevensey vibe. For, if you remember like the middle girl from Chronicles of Narnia, like the older one, she's kind of like that. She's got the long face and she's charming and, and she does a great job of like emoting. I think she's solid. She does a good job serving John and Michael who are mostly pushed to the background for this movie. Satisfyingly, you get much more Wendy um, per the title. Uh, if anything, I think the kid who played Peter Pan is really good, but uniquely like doesn't get enough screen time. I feel like Lowry cuts away from him a lot. <laughs> I can't explain it. Like I just feel like I see a lot more Tinkerbell and the other kids and a lot less of him. Um, but again, it's not just called Peter Pan. It's Peter Pan and Wendy. And I think thematically that was important to this. Like it's not just Peter Pan's kind of tale. It is about Wendy and this fear of, growing older. And I think that's like a good departure uh, to stop talking about Disney. Instead of talking about David Lowry, Uh, David Lowry is a dour guy. Um, Andy and I saw him at Texas theater, historic Texas theater. uh, And he talked about how green Knight is about like his fear of death and how ghost story (laughs) was about like his fear of death and about how old man and the gun, which is the Robert Redford movie where he's like an old bank robber is a bit about like, also <laughs> the fear of like, death. what's he, next yeah. yeah like what comes at the end um and peter pan and wendy like actually has a charming through line of that 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 kind of dna of his where she's genuinely like fearful of like what's next in her life and she's like i love my life now i love hanging out with my brothers john and michael and playing pirates and i love living at mom and dad's house and like i don't i don't want to change like i don't i don't want things to be different and like that's a scary thing and and this movie is a little bit about acceptance and like growing to like not only look f- like like accept what's happening to you, but look forward to it, right? And like look at it as an opportunity to tr- grow and change and become somebody new. And that plays really great against Peter, who who is a character who does not want to change, right? He lives in Neverland with the Lost Boys. Nobody ever grows up. And like I think Lowry really does a good job, like in the script, of kind of nailing that a little bit. And he spends a lot of moments with the kids kind of lingering. If you're watching on Facebook, you can see I've got this shot of, of a kind of teary eyed Peter as he and Wendy are like sitting on a rooftop kind of talking to each other. Like he pulls way in and he's got a good, good field, like field of focus where it's really tight on the face. And like, 
he manages to get those like emotional moments and that's combined with, I, I think good cinematography um, when step back, like Neverland in this movie is, is up, up in like, where did he film Scandinavia? Like it's big, big cliffs and rock faces. If you watch the trailer, it's not the Caribbean, right? Where it's traditionally where Peter Pan is. It's like a, a pirates, right? An Island, but no, like uniquely he's up North and like, it's a little colder. It's a little drearier. This plays for a darker feature, which I think a lot of people have been criticizing because it looks like all of Disney's live actions really dark so they can hide the CGI. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't, I don't think that helps it. The visuals do come off a little flat, but like, I, I like this setting and and I like this, this kind of lean on the script where like our characters are more than just like what was on the, on the page. Um, I think where it falls apart is, well, hold on. I, and I should, I should give you a chance to talk. I've been talking for four minutes uh, any any thoughts so far? <laughs> any questions? Uh, how is this? How is it similar, and how is it different from the kind of Peter Pan tellings that we've seen before? Yes, great question. That's exactly where I was headed. Perfect. Uh, you're you're right in front of me. Um, this movie suffers from following too closely the the dots of Disney's Peter Pan because we've all seen the Peter Pan story a handful of times now, and they're all similar. Like even Spielberg's like gets pretty close to Disney's Peter Pan, like starts in the, 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 the playroom with the darling children and, and uh, they're all playing and da- mom and dad are going to a ball, right? Like it starts, it, it wavers and that's where it gets exciting. But like it, it follows a lot of those same steps. Neverland, Captain Hook, Smee, the Lost Boys, right? Like they got their hangout, like Tinkerbell. Um, in this movie, like it, it just, it's too close to, to, to what the old one did. You know, every story beat before it happens. There's no excitement in that script. Like, you know exactly where everything's headed. There, there are a couple of minor variations, very minor, but you know where it's going. And the problem is, like, it's too dark, I think, to be a kid's movie that's enjoyable. I, I can't see a child enjoying Peter Pan and Wendy. They'd be bored. But it's too paint-by-numbers to be a good adult movie. Like, you end up with, like, a style, like a movie stylistically that's David Lowry, but in practice is a disney movie and it doesn't really work like it doesn't it doesn't thread the needle in either way and it ends up being kind of a misfire Uh, and it's a shame because i think when you look back on david lowry's filmography i think this one actually is not bad but like for what it's supposed to be a disney live action doesn't does not hit the mark like it ends up being bland i wonder i wonder if it was given the kind of theatrical treatment like something that they would make for theatrical release if if that would have made a difference i don't know like i i don't know how much it costs to shoot um but it couldn't have been that cheap um there's definitely a lot of cgi in it but like they definitely have a real pirate ship set like that they're running around on you know and there's like a big cave scene that they're in with water tanks and i'm like okay like so, so for all the cgi like there's a lot of money off screen too um it's just colored kind of flat. The music's not too exciting. Like the kids are fine, but you, you know, you know what's going to happen. You, 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 I, I could, Andy, you, you probably haven't seen the Peter Pan movie in 10 years and I could have you write down what you think the plot points of Pan are <laughs> and, and you would, would have right. the, the plot of this film. Yeah. It's the same. Like, and that, that hurts it. Like that, that hurts it a lot. That's something I, I think all of these movies kind of suffer from. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of dreading going into the little mermaid. Cause it's like, you literally know that, you know, the whole movie before you've sat down in the theater, you know, like there will be no surprises. Nothing will take your breath away. Like it's just, and that's a bummer and, and and that's not great. So I should move on to the recommendation because I've gone 
way too long on this. Uh, I, Andy, I, I think I would probably not recommend Peter Pan and Wendy. <laughs> <laughs> like I, again, I think in the rear view, like in, in, in five years when somebody is looking at the filmography of David Lowry, they'll come onto this one, roll their eyes, watch it and go, you know what? That's not a bad David Lowry movie. Like I, I, I think it's emotional where it needs to be. It's it's well shot. I, I, he's got some, he's, it opens with a great oneer. I was just telling Andy before we started that I I really like like a lot of good sequences, strong camera movement. Like if it wasn't if it didn't have Disney's name on it and it was just a little bit different from the traditional Peter Pan story, I would say this is David Lowry's Peter Pan, and it's not bad. But like the Disney needle running through the middle of it, where it's got it's got to have the same damn beats. <laughs> if this <laughs> like were if this were David Lowry's Peter Pan. It would be devastating. Like people, yeah, <laughs> you would be like, able to. Ha- you right, would, like you'd walk it, out of it yeah. a different person. You can, you can, like it's like you can just feel him reach for that, and then a studio exec slap his hand away from the table. <laughs> like, hey, stop that! Like, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not going to be dark and grin and and dour in, in Disney's Peter Pan. And like, it's a shame. Like, yeah, I I think there's a world where like David Lowry's Peter Pan is good stuff, and like this just doesn't, it doesn't quite get there. And honestly, I think Disney might be the problem. Um. But I, I like David Lowry a lot. That's easy for me to say. Um, it's on Disney Plus. If you want to watch it, go off, King. You know, do your thing. Like, what, who am I to say you shouldn't watch Peter Pan and Wendy? I just, you know, it's it's a movie you could. What is it I told you? It's a movie you could, you could put your laundry on while, while you're watching yeah. it. And when you get bored or get to a scene that you already know how it's going to happen, you can get up and go to the bathroom or whatever. You know, it's it's, it's fine. David Lowry's Peter Pan is fine. It bums me out, man. But I'm glad Guardians was good. Uh, overall, it's a pretty good week of the movies, and it turns out we have kind of nothing to watch next week because Guardians uh, is taking taking the whole pie. Two weeks at the box office. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but before that, we do have a little bit of the death of cinema to cover. Oh God, I forgot. <laughs> Okay, good. I'm glad we're ahead of time then. Uh, we got a little Zach bit of time left. forgets to read uh, the outline, but it's okay. I sure did. <laughs> well, I didn't... Hey, at least I watched both the movies. Like, that's big, <laughs> that's big talk, all right, from the guy who didn't watch both the movies. All right. <laughs> go, go, ahead and, go ahead and introduce the segment for us. Oh my it's, God. it's time for the death of cinema. So the big news was uh, last Tuesday, the Writers Guild uh, went on strike for the first time in 15 years. Official work stoppage at 1 p.m. Uh, Pacific time in Los Angeles. Any WGA writer has stopped work. They started picketing. Um, so that's huge news. It means a lot of projects will not have writers. A lot of the um, late night shows, for instance, that that have up to the minute writing, uh, no writers. And then we're going to see who else it affects. The main kind of issues uh, that w- they were not able to work out, um, it's basically a lot of changes with technology. Streaming's a big issue. Um, it used to be that shows that, that came out on, on TV, writers would be paid residuals, and now they're not because it's all on streaming and the streamers don't release the numbers. They, they, so there's nothing to to know how much you should or shouldn't be paid. Uh, for a work, so that's something that they were they were really wanting for. Other things uh, include a guaranteed number of weeks for employment for uh, TV TV writers, um, and also th- and this is kind of a big one. Uh, they want they want to do some regulation of AI writing from things like Chat GPT in 
WGA covered work. So that's also a big thing because th- there's, I mean, proposals like studios want to use an AI to to generate a script or a an, an idea, and then have then hire fewer writers to then like clean it up and make it ready to go for in, for production. So that's the that's the huge news. Uh, this the strike is still ongoing. Uh, it's only been a week. Uh, we'll see how long it it lasts. But we're already seeing the the stoppage of a number of shows and and, and films be put on uh, hiatus while this waits to be resolved. Uh this is you know in a weird way I'm glad we're doing it. This this is the end of the show. I didn't plan this. I swear. Um, but I feel like I I'm not very good at talking about things like strikes uh, on a public forum because I want to remain unbiased. Um. But like I see, I see a lot of things that make sense with what these writers are doing. Like Hollywood and and mostly most media in general, like is usually pretty slow to adapt to new technologies, and it takes time to work out, you know, what exactly the best path forward is. Every studio has a different idea. Uh, infamously, through the pandemic, uh, a lot of studios thought, hey, we should pull all our theatrical features and sit on them. And some others said, we should partner with companies like Netflix to release them. And then others, like Warner Brothers, said, we're putting our entire theatrical slate on streaming at the same time. Like, crazy, right? You never know what studio is going to do what and how people are going to react to uh, the current market. And a lot of these studios, in the long term, have not done a great job of adapting to streaming services. And he's absolutely right. Like, there's no way these writers are getting paid effectively. And unfortunately, much like actors, um, without a writer, you don't really have anything. This seems to be up for debate lately with the idea of things like AI. And maybe for, like, small television, that would be relevant, right? Um, or, or, like, for loose concept ideas, you could use AI. But for finer things, you're going to need a writer. And writers are really important. So they should probably just pay these people. And any strike where you can like shut down an economic means of production is like the best strike. <laughs> Cause that's what it's all about, baby. So like, I don't know. I, I, I have trouble disagreeing with it. I, like from what I can read on the internet, it makes a lot of sense to me. Right. And it, again, it's going to be very effective. The, the late night shows have like a week, maybe a week and a half worth of material before it's, they just don't, they have to shut down. Um, Marvel's Blade uh has put on been put on hiatus. There's other shows that are pushing through but they're also they're pushing through without those writers on set who do kind of last minute uh script changes and and that kind of script revisory and monitoring that that sort of thing. Um so we'll see how those kind of fare like the House of the Dragon season 2 is pushing forward. The scripts are all finished and so they're just going to you know, push forward without those uh, WGA members on set. Uh, but there's a, a lot of other shows that have been um, stopped. I wish I had a list here, but uh, it's already be- affecting the work of things in production. Yeah, I think on the film side, we probably won't see this. If, 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 if the strike isn't long, you won't notice much changing, right? Like a lot of films are currently shot or in editing, or in post-production. A lot of films are currently underway, and they probably have a good script lock. Um, for series, this is much harder. Um, writers are essential, like, I think, in how a series is written. And probably films, too, but less so because they're a little bit more bottled. Um, stuff changes all the time on set from day to day, right? Like, a director might get on set and go, hey, I hate the way this shot is framed. Let's move the camera over there. 
Or, you know what? Uh, let's just cut half this scene out because it's kind of boring. Uh, literally on the day. And the scriptwriter is fundamentally essential to being the person who's keeping in mind what's happening three episodes from now and has to remember, oh no, we actually need them to say this specific bit of information in this scene. So we can't cut that line. We have to rewrite that. So greenlighting a series to start shooting without script writers on set is, is like low key insanity. Cause you're saying, okay, you're assuming everything's going to go perfect on set and you're never going to have a problem. What if you get out to shoot in a field and it's rainy and the script says it's sunny? Uh, don't you technically need a writer to fix that? What if, what if that matters? Cause you're shooting half your episode that day and you need to get this done. Like it just, you need to pay your writers. Like, especially if the series is already ongoing and Disney said Andor season two is going to shoot without writers. It's like y'all are nuts, man. Like, I hope you got, you must have that script locked down solid. And I guess in CGI land, they probably do, but for everybody else, I don't know. One thing I do know, uh, really good memes coming out of the writer strike. Uh, <laughs> writers are really good at writing picket signs. Who knew, right? Uh, seen some really funny ones. Right. Uh, a big difference from the last strike, which happened in 2007, um, back then that was pre-streaming. And so, I mean, they they, they didn't have... The, the, you felt the writer's strike much more quickly because all these shows that people were writing for were like in con in development and immediately ceased. Now streamers kind of have a little bit of a, of an advantage because they, they bank shows so far in advance. Like Netflix has a ton of shows already finished and, and ready to air. So they can kind of hold out a little bit longer. So it's a little bit different kind of uh, environment than it, it was 15 years ago. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, any idea when this thing's going to end? When, when, who knows? I mean, I know that negotiations have resumed as of yesterday. And so we're just waiting to see uh, where those go. But I mean, they're both sides can kind of play hardball that the writers can hold out. And like I said, a lot of shows are already stopping production and that's going to have a domino effect into, it's mostly going to affect fall programming because now is when usually they start working on scripts for shows that will be made in the fall or come out in the fall. Yeah. Um, not much more to say on it, I guess. Uh, we will definitely cover when it's over or if there's any large developments. So if you want to hear more about the writer's strike, uh, keep it here on off script. Uh, Andy, now that I think we're actually at the end of the show, uh, <laughs> what, are we, what are we watching next week? So like we said, uh, nothing big comes out next week. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy gets a full two weeks to itself. But the next big summer release after that is, of course, Fast X, the 10th iteration of the yeah. Fast and Furious franchise starring Vin Diesel as Dom Toretto and the rest of the family. So that'll be the big release. That's going to be a huge movie. Uh, ab absolutely. And that's what we're going to be coming back with. Maybe we'll do uh, D-Box again. <laughs> uh, yeah. God, God. Fast X looks fine. <laughs> I, I wish I could say I was excited about it. Uh, we saw Fast 9 for the show. I think before then I had seen like a handful of the Fast and Furious movies, maybe, probably more like a few. Uh, but boy, I can't wait to see part one of how Dominic Toretto is finally going to wrap up things. Uh, or Jason Momoa is going to wrap him up, I guess. Uh, I don't really know what's going to happen in Fast X, but it's going to be loud and there's going to be a bunch of people eating, loudly chewing popcorn in my theater and texting. <laughs> That's that's about the caliber of moviegoer going to see Fast X. Yeah, um, I'm gonna get a D box seat and get thrown from my <laughs> chair. <laughs> right, ejected through the ceiling tiles. <laughs> like, 
Absolutely. You're going to look like a crash test dummy in that thing. Like just yeah. ex- exploding out the back of the screen. Uh, I might, I might come with you. That'd be a good, good way to see it. I think. Or like, go, like I said, go see a quiet screening where you're not going to have people just like on their phones half the movie. I, I tell you, like, as we watch more movies for the podcast, I've really learned to suss out like the different theater audiences. You go see something weird, like Yorgos Lanthimos' new movie or like even Oppenheimer probably. It's, it's, be pretty quiet in there. You go see Fast X or like Creed Three. Oh my god, dude! People are gonna be on their phones the whole movie. Like they don't care. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they get out and they're like fourteen dollars for a movie ticket. <laughs> All the gym is text the whole time. Anyway, uh, if you enjoy the show. <laughs> If you like what we're doing here on Offscript, uh, the best way to support us is just subscribe. Just subscribe to Offscript and your favorite podcast platform so you can listen to us and what we're doing and movies we're talking about every single week. Uh, movies are expensive. Podcasts are cheap. Andy and I should know. Uh, so come listen to the show and uh, get a little bit of benefit out of these tickets that we're buying. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook where we live stream the show every Tuesday except for today, which is Thursday because we had a thing. It's a whole thing. But we'll be back in two Tuesdays to talk about Fast X right here. And you can watch the show live, comment, engage. You can follow us on YouTube where we upload our episodes, interviews, a lot of exciting things. Big things happening on the YouTube channel. Big things happening on the YouTube channel. Come check it out. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. You can follow us on all the usual social media outlets. And you can find us on the web at offscriptfilmreview.com. And you can email us correspondence at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Com. Tell us what you thought of the show. Tell us what you think of the movies. Tell us, uh, I don't know, tell us about you. We might even read it on the air. And uh, I think that covers it from all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.